Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around him, and the impact he empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Good morning. If we haven't met before, I am Sarah and I'm part of the team here at BCV and it is so good to be with you this morning. We recently began a new series on the Gospel of Mark and last week Gunter looked at Jesus's invitation to the disciples to leave everything they had and come follow him. It was a really powerful and thought-provoking message so if you missed that you can catch up with it on our website or on our YouTube channel. And then the next verses in Mark detail the beginning of Jesus's ministry and that is where we are today in verses 21 to 28. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So whilst this is the first ministry event that Mark tells us about, it is not in fact the first ministry event that Jesus does. And so I think it is really important at the very beginning, before we start dissecting the verses and seeing what they mean and how they might apply to us today, we need to ask ourselves, why does Mark do this? Why does he choose this story as his first one? From the other synoptic gospels, Matthew, Luke and John, we see that during the weeks that Mark doesn't mention, Jesus spends time ministering in Nazareth, calling the other disciples and delivers the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And then according to Luke in chapter 4, after Jesus preaches in the synagogue in Nazareth, the people try to kill him and so he moves his ministry headquarters to Capernaum, which is where our verses are located today. But why does Mark skip over those things. I think Mark uses this story as his first one because it highlights three of the key elements that we are going to see permeate all of Jesus's ministry. It looks at authority, supernatural power and response or action. And this theme of action, only 21 verses into the first chapter of the gospel, is already really, really strong. Two weeks ago, Andy looked at how repentance requires changed action. And then last week, Gunter looked at the demands of discipleship as Jesus calls us into action to leave everything and follow him. And today we are going to discover that a response is expected when Jesus is encountered. So, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And how does it begin? With teaching. But it's not just any kind of teaching. It is teaching unlike that of the teachers of the law. It is teaching with authority. And what's interesting here is that we don't hear the content of Jesus' teaching. It's almost like Mark is saying, the content isn't the important part. 
In the Gospel of Mark, what makes Jesus' teaching authoritative is his person. His teaching is authoritative because of who he is. He is the Holy One of God. And Mark is telling us that if we want to know what the teaching of Jesus consists of, we need to look at its embodiment in Jesus the teacher, at how his actions reflect his words. In verse 22 it says, They were astonished at his teaching. Astonished. It's a word that we don't use very often because we kind of change it for amazing and we use that word all the time. I had an amazing bank holiday weekend or I saw an amazing film or that sandwich I made, it was amazing. But amazing isn't astonishing. To be amazed is to be entertained with something better than what you could do. But to be astonished is to be floored by what you never thought anyone could do. The original Greek means to be stricken as a blow, to be dumbfounded. And today you or I might say their minds were blown by his teaching. And that is what we see here in these verses. The people were astonished and their minds were blown. And the congregation in Capernaum noticed a difference between Jesus and every other teacher. In those days, you see, the official in charge of the synagogue was called the ruler of the synagogue. And this position included responsibilities of librarian, worship committee, custodian, and perhaps on occasion school teacher. But they did not preach or explain the Torah. And so each Sabbath, they would identify someone who could read and who could comment on the scriptures. Now, in a primarily illiterate society like theirs, sometimes the only qualification needed was the ability to read. But every now and then, the synagogue would host a legitimate teacher, a scribe. But even the scribes didn't teach with personal authority, but with second-hand theology. Their teaching was comprised of quotations, you know, so-and-so says this, and that rabbi has said that. But Jesus didn't rely on other teachers. He had no quotes. Again and again in the Gospels, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. He spoke not in second-hand quotes, but with first-hand authority. When Jesus spoke, he spoke as the author of the words. But more than that, as the author of the truth that he spoke, it came out of the original stuff. Tim Keller puts it like this. He didn't just clarify something that they already knew or simply interpret the scriptures in the way the teachers of the law did. His listeners sensed somehow that he was explaining the story of their lives as the author and it left them dumbfounded. Much like us today, the people automatically contrast Jesus' teaching with what they know, with what they have experienced, with the teaching of the scribes. And unlike the scribes, the people perceive Jesus to teach with authority. Now, authority. That is a word in today's world that we often use interchangeably with the word power. But there is a distinction between the two. If we peer into the world in which Jesus lived, the scribes along with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, they had the power. They were the interpreters of the law. They decided what and who was acceptable and what and who was not acceptable. They were part of the cultural power structure of the day. Their power was simply a given. However, they did not necessarily have the support or confidence of the people and so they lacked authority.
Because having power doesn't necessarily mean that you have authority, especially when we think in terms of moral authority. You just need to listen to the questions being asked today and you can hear hints of this subtle difference between power and authority. People are not asking, for example, whether our government has the power to do certain things. Of course it has the power. They're asking, does our government have the authority? Because power can be seized or claimed, but authority needs to be given. And Jesus was a given authority by the people, not because of what he said, but because of who he was. And this idea of authority that we see time and time again in Mark's gospel is actually really, really uncomfortable for many of us. Because when we see or hear the word authority, we do one of two things. We either deny its existence altogether and become sceptical. We question all authority, all tradition, all revelation, all external authority must be put under a microscope of personal reason. And then that subjection to reason has led to a rejection of the supernatural. Not only the supernatural miracles of God, but even the person of God. And scepticism has replaced faith. Which, if we are really, really honest, is at times how many of us have felt, especially over the past two years, and maybe even today, we're sceptical of God, of church, and our whole faith. And so today's passage in today's world is just about as crazy as you can get. Here we have Jesus teaching, not with suggestions for a better life, but with the authority of the living God. And we have a demon-possessed man healed. The unclean spirit is cast out and everyone is left awestruck. I think it sounds a little bit like a TikTok video. I mean, can you imagine an event like this making the front page of news websites today with any level of seriousness? The other way that we deal with this awkward issue of authority and supernatural warfare is much more subtle than ignoring it outright. And it's the one that I think we primarily swim in today because, you see, Our culture, I think, really likes Jesus, but they only like certain parts of him. The popular Jesus that we like is a far cry from the biblical Jesus. This version of Jesus has all the encouragement and good vibes that we want without the lordship and salvation that we need. This Jesus doesn't surprise us, doesn't astonish us, doesn't amaze us. We aren't forced to say, what is this? Who is this? A new teaching with authority? Because our version of Jesus is safe, comfortable, manageable and never disagrees with us. Tim Keller says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshipping an ideal version of yourself. If your Jesus never stuns you with his glory, if he never causes you to fall down at his feet in worship, if you never have reason to stop and be astonished as the people in the synagogue were at who he is and what he says, then we are robbing ourselves of knowing the only one who can really do something astonishing in our life. But the problem with both of these views is that neither accepts the authoritative lordship of Jesus. Both are a rejection of the king of the kingdom that Mark tells us has drawn near in verse 15. The real Jesus is the only person who can do something about our sin and our situations and we need the real authoritative Jesus who teaches, heals, reshapes, recreates, raises the dead and this morning I wonder what area of your life do you need the real Jesus in? 
The truth and the beauty of the gospel is that we have the real authoritative Jesus available to us just as we are if we follow him. And the litmus test for Jesus' authority comes in verse 23 when we see his power, his supernatural power. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed with an unclean spirit cried out. This is the first of many exorcism stories, the driving out of demons or evil spirits in Mark, which depict the gripping effect between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, between the one anointed with God's spirit and those held in captivity with unclean spirits. Now, talk of spirits and demons seems primitive and it also makes us feel uncomfortable today. You might notice there's a theme emerging here with my talk of speaking of uncomfortable things this morning. But rather than spirits and demons in today's society, we prefer to talk about things like poverty and mental illness as the causes of certain behaviours. We hesitate to use the word evil because it sounds bad or judgmental. And so we often look to medicine to deliver us from our demons. And whilst medicine is brilliant and it has accomplished a great deal, I think it is unlikely to ever solve the problem of evil because evil is a spiritual problem and a present reality. We only have to watch the news to confirm the pervasive presence of evil in the world. And this unclean spirit It is a favourite expression of Mark for evil spirit or demon and we will see throughout the gospel that he uses the two interchangeably. The former suggests ritual impurity or unworthiness and the latter suggests evil. So it's actually really odd to find this man in the synagogue because his unclean spirit would have made him ritually impure and ineligible for synagogue worship. However, the synagogue wouldn't have had a guard posted at the door, as it were, and so he was able to go in and he cries out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And the literal translation of this is, what to us and to you? And it basically means, why are you interfering with us? And these words reach all the way back into the Old Testament. It was a formula used for disassociation. The demon wants Jesus to go away and leave him alone. He's not asking as much as he is proclaiming. He's saying, you have nothing to do with us and I have nothing to do with you. Be gone, Jesus. He is treating Jesus as an invader in this world that for so long had been controlled by Satan. But the thing is, Jesus is not the invader here. The demons are. And the unclean spirit recognises the authority of Jesus. He knew who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. And he does something really, really interesting. He mentions Jesus' name twice. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But why does he do it? Let's have a look in the Old Testament at Genesis 32 verses 24 to 28. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. 
After wrestling all night, Jacob demanded a blessing. And so the angel asks Jacob his name. Why? Well, because revealing your name to an opponent was an act of submission. Jacob was admitting who he was and coming under the authority of the angel. So when this unclean spirit shouts Jesus' name, it was an attempt to unveil his identity and to defeat him, to cause him to submit. He was saying, in effect, I know who you are, you can't fool me. I mean, if someone was to interrupt right now and say, I know who you are, Sarah Crawford, Something in me would pause. Who are they? What do they know about me? Because one of our greatest fears is being found out. As soon as someone says they know me or you, they're making a claim. That's what this demon was doing. But Jesus had nothing to hide. He had nothing to be fearful of. He wasn't pretending to be anyone other than himself. And so he was unfazed by the interruption. You see, this demon saw better than anyone else what was happening spiritually as Jesus taught. Hearts were changing. Chains were falling. The world was being set free from slavery to sin, from captivity to Satan. The demons knew that their end was near. And Jesus responds, not with words of explanation, but with words of power. He commands in verse 25, be quiet and come out of him. He uses no pomp, no formal liturgy, no exorcism formula, but he simply orders the spirit to be quiet and come out of the man. And for me, these two words are some of the most powerful in this passage. Be quiet. For many of us today, we are like this man. We carry unclean spirits. And if we aren't today, then at some point this week we will, because we live in that contested space spiritually of the kingdom of God being here, but not yet fully present. We often let the outside voices, whether it's the news, social media, a parent, our spouse, a friend, a circumstance, have greater influence in our lives than that deep inner voice of truth. And we lose a bit of ourselves. We let anger, jealousy, disappointment, greed, lust, anxiety, hopelessness overwhelm us. And we need Jesus to say, be quiet. Because although Mark wasn't writing this gospel to us, he was writing it for us. And the fact remains that Jesus comes today to destroy the false voices in our lives. He comes to destroy the powers that diminish and deny the fullness of life and human dignity that God created us for. He comes to destroy our false identities. And what I love here is that Jesus makes a distinction between the man and the unclean spirit. He says in verse 25, come out of him. He is clarifying for the man that the unclean spirit is not who he is. He is calling the man back to himself. And it is in that moment of self-recognition that the man with the unclean spirit also recognises Jesus. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And even in the midst of having lost himself, there is still something deep within him that knows and can recognise the Holy One, Jesus, and his authority. And I think there is something in that for someone this morning, that no matter how lost you feel to yourself, the ability to recognise Jesus remains, that deep inner truth, and he is calling you back to who he says you are and who he made you to be. And maybe the recognition of who Jesus calls us back to be is what saves our life. 
It seems that recognising the truth and the untruth about our lives, the beauty of our life as well as the disfigurements, the places that are whole and the places that are broken, because we've got them all. And I don't know about you, but I have had a pretty rough week where at times I have let the lies about my circumstances speak louder than the truths. And as much as I wanted to deny or run for those things, the recognition of them has also been the place of healing and wholeness. It is a place that gives rise to new hope. It's a place where we can catch a glimpse of our truest and best selves as Jesus sees us. It's a place where we submit to the authority of the King and in his kingdom, which is a place of action and advancement, of restoration and freedom. Demons or unclean spirits, they rarely go quietly. And this one goes with a shriek. But that is all that Mark says in verse 26. And the unclean spirit convulsing and crying with a loud voice came out of him. The healing of this man and the exorcism of the unclean spirit are only important as they reveal who Jesus is, his authority and his power. Mark doesn't tell us where the demon went or what happened to the man because his gospel is not about them, it's about Jesus Christ, the Holy One. And then finally, our third point, a response is expected when Jesus is encountered. Action. So after this power encounter with the unclean spirit, we read in verse 27, And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? And you teach him with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. To be amazed means to wonder with great admiration as well as to be shocked or rendered motionless. The people started questioning each other, wondering who this could be. His preaching had power. His message had might behind it. People were being set free from sin and Satan right in front of their eyes. They had no category for Jesus. What he was saying and doing had never been done before. And when Jesus is encountered, a response is required. The demons responded, they recognised his power and authority. But Jesus doesn't want our astonishment. He wants our allegiance. He wants your reaction to become an action. Notice at the very end of this section what happens in verse 28. As the final result of this power encounter, we see action. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The fame of Jesus spread without technology, without the internet or phones. No one had to Google Jesus because people were telling their neighbours and those neighbours told others about him. His name spread to all places because those who saw what he did could not stop talking about it. And so as we come to a close this morning, my question to all of this is what is your response to Jesus? Maybe you need a power encounter with Jesus for the very first time or maybe for the first time in a really long time. Maybe you need to be astonished all over again by the authority of Jesus and his teaching in the Bible. Maybe you need to go and swap your scepticism for faith in the real Jesus, the one who has authority all of his own that has the power to change your circumstances and bring healing. 
the people recognised something in Jesus and gave him authority over them. And maybe you this morning need to give Jesus authority over your situation today. Maybe you need to hear Jesus say, be quiet to your circumstance, to the lies that you're believing right now. For some of us, we actually don't even know why we are here this morning. We feel like that unclean man who is a trespasser because of how far we are from Jesus. But the thing is this, you have come this morning because deep down you know the truth of who he is and you are longing to encounter him and hear his truth spoken over you and be set free and he is waiting to meet you. And so we are just going to create some space here in the quiet that we can respond to Jesus in our hearts. So let's just do that now. Holy Spirit, we just invite you now to speak to us in the quiet of our hearts. So God, we ask you to speak with authority in our lives. Would you speak to us and to what is in us so that we might be whole? Would you speak to us with love and with hope? and with strength so that we might hear you and know deep inside that we are your people and that you are our God. In Jesus' name, amen. If there is something from this morning's talk that has resonated with you and you would like some prayer, then you can sign up for some prayer ministry over on our weekly service page. Have a great week, guys. See you soon. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.